Good morning. My name is Joel Dunn, and it is my privilege to read Mark 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a new piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I am uh, one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be back in Mark. I hope you guys are too. Last week, um, I uh, made a, apparently an empty promise that we would have scripture journals ready for you guys. Um, well, because uh, we're human and we forget things, uh, I forgot to order them. So when I did order them, I was trying to get them here on Saturday. They didn't come on Saturday. Uh, Brian's going to try to take the blame for that. That wasn't Brian's fault. Um, Brian has slept and lost sleep since we talked about uh, the scripture journals, but they are on the way and will probably be here tomorrow. So you will have them next week. Uh, I got the confirmation they will be here, but um, I'm excited to be back in Mark. And one of the things that we notice in Mark that we notice really throughout all four gospel stories of Jesus in his ministry before his death, is what his ministry is focused on is our unlearning. You guys ever learn something wrongly, and then you have to unlearn it and relearn a new thing? Does that ever happen to you? We, our brains are wired so that we learn something the first time, we learn it quickly. But then, the, the process of unlearning takes more and more and more time. This disproportionate amount of unlearning has to happen compared to uh, learning it the first time. And so we have this, this way of learning how to be Christian from other people, from the church culture, from maybe some misunderstandings about Scripture. Think about how you learn to be a Christian. Now, some of these ways are designed. We're meant to learn from people. But what if that person mislearned and hasn't unlearned? What if we come to Scripture in, in its newness and we misunderstand something? What if um, we go years and years emphasizing this, this learning aspect of Christianity, this um, acquisition of knowledge that we find ourselves in. I, just so you know, America highly values intellect, and the church has adopted this value. Now, that is important. Education and in, in, um, what you know about God and Jesus and Scripture is incredibly important. But Jesus spends the focus of his ministry, especially in Mark, helping us unlearn what we've mislearned. 
And so what really is important in terms of, of intellect and understanding is what we learn from Jesus himself. There's a name for this. It's called the Brandolini Principle. And if you go look it up, there's going to be other names for it that aren't savory for me to say out loud from the pulpit on a Sunday morning in this place with a microphone on YouTube and to be recorded and passed around. But the Brandolini Principle, it was, it was not created by this Italian programmer. God created this. But it was named in 2013, this Italian programmer discovered that um, there was these serious misconceptions with something that he was teaching. And so he went to like, retrace his steps to help people unlearn their misunderstandings of some, I don't know, programming. I don't even know like, my way around it enough to, to tell you, is this a theory? Is this a concept? I don't know. But he got online and was, was trying to um, spread this message that there is this mis- misconception about what he was teaching, and here's the new way. And what he discovered is that it takes disproportionately more time, energy, and effort to unlearn and relearn than it ever did to learn the first way. Now, somehow, when I was a kid, I learned my right and left backwards. I don't know how that happened. My parents have their right and left correct. I'm I'm sure, I'm hopeful my teachers had their right and left correct. Something in my brain flipped those around. And if I'm really honest... Even as an adult sometimes, rarely, rarely, I can still get those switched. If it's impulsive, thank you, Larry. (laughs) I had a note in here to say, don't laugh at me like I'm the only one in this room. So I appreciate that. Um, And if you have uncles like I have, you know where this is going, you're still reminding yourself that chocolate milk does not come from chocolate cows. The Brandolini Principle was named in 2013, but this is historically human. We learn and misunderstand and have to unlearn. We must do this. We must be willing to unlearn, especially when it comes to God, when it comes to what life is like with God, what it means to be Christian. We have to unlearn our human way. We have to unlearn what we've learned from others in order to learn the way of Jesus, okay? And I say that to say Mark 2, 18 through 22, is not about fasting. If you came here ready for a sermon on fasting, I'm sorry. There's going to be another time for a sermon on fasting later in Mark. This is not that sermon. Mark 2, 18 through 22, is about unlearning our ways our ways of life, our ways of being Christian, our ways of relating to one another and relating to God, unlearning our ways and relearning from Jesus how to truly live. That's what Mark 2, 18 through 22 is about. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. That's usually what we'll preach from. In the subtitle on this says, a question about fasting. Does anybody have a different translation with a different subtitle? Everyone's using the ESV. Good for you. (laughs) Mike, I see you have a digital uh, Bible. Will you see if you can find the New English Translation, NET? Anybody have NIV, NLT, CSB? What 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 uh, 
What do those subtitles say? Curtis, what do you got? A discussion about fasting. Is that that's what yours has? Jesus questioned about fasting. Mike, were you able to find that? It might be a hard translation to find. CSB, Jesus questioned about fasting. Okay. Okay. None of those are wrong, right? They do ask a question about fasting. Jesus is questioned about fasting. I might have sent Mike on an endless rabbit trail because not everybody has the NET translation. Did you find it? No? Can't get it? That's okay. You were able to find it? All right, we got the, the bootleg version over here. The superiority of the new. Thank you for, for trying, Mike. Um, superiority of the new. And that gets closer, but not quite. If we really pay attention to this interaction that's happening here, the Pharisees come to Jesus with their way of doing things, and they say, uh, Jesus, how come you're not doing what we're doing? Have you ever been questioned like that? Have you ever questioned someone like that? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. He answers the question they should have asked. So, Jesus. The question that he answers is more along the lines of, hey, Jesus, how does fasting and other spiritual disciplines fit into this new kingdom you're bringing? That's the question that we need to be coming to Jesus, asking, how does this thing that I've already learned fit into what you're doing if you're truly the Messiah? Now, I'm going to answer first why Jesus' disciples are not fasting. Jesus' disciples are not fasting because they're unlearning. And Jesus gives a very good reason for why they're not fasting in their unlearning. He doesn't say, I'm going to teach them how to fast in a different way. He actually has to erase their memory, men in black style, and refill it with something new. Um, I was talking to Logan about this before service, and I've never seen Avatar, but when I was explaining this, she was like, oh my gosh, that's Avatar, when one person, what was the name? Jade? Jade. Jake approaches another person, the Navi, Navi, and Jake is wanting to learn something, their ways. ways. (laughs) I should not have used this. Jake is, just wait. Jake is wanting to learn the ways of the Navi, and she says, I cannot teach someone with a full cup. That was worth it. (laughs) I cannot teach someone with a full cup. So Jesus is using this cloth and this wine illustration to say the old is not compatible with the new. You have to get rid of the old. You have to throw away your old clothes. You have to throw away your hardened, stiff wineskins because I have something new to teach you. You have to unlearn your old ways to learn the new ways. It would be like, um, and these are just cultural norms. Like he's he's speaking to a people that know what he's going to say. They understand these parables. And so um, it would be like if, if Jesus were here preaching, which would be way better and less distracting, It would be like him saying, okay, take your 2023 iPhone. What are we on? 27, version 27 now, 14? You know. Are we on 14? 
uh, it'd be like taking your iPhone 14 and putting iOS 3 on it, right? Or think of it the other way around. It'd be like taking your iPhone 3 and putting iOS 2023 on it. <laughs> like, take your iPhone 3 and give it to a museum. Don't try to put the new software on it. It's going to break it, okay? The old is not compatible with the new. It's not going to work. And so Jesus knows, and, and one of the things in, in first century Judaism is this idea of fasting, of giving up food for a day. What's the purpose of this in first century Israel? The purpose was because the Israelites knew that God had promised a Messiah, and they were trying to prove their worth. They were trying to prove that they deserved God to send him. Their fasting was meant to get God's attention and love. To say, God, we're so sorry for the failures of our fathers. Please forgive us and see that we're doing the right thing now. See that now we deserve your forgiveness and your mercy. Please kick Caesar out of this place and restore David's throne. It's a meritocracy. They're expecting their good works to earn God's love, and attention. And before you start pointing fingers at the Pharisees, realize the Pharisees are in the Bible to show us a little bit of ourselves, okay? Let's not judge them too quickly. So these, these Pharisees would fast and they would teach their disciples to fast on Mondays, every week, every Monday. Like we can go to small group on Mondays. We can go get coffee on Saturdays. We, we have these routines, but every single week, 24 hours, no food. That's hard, weekly. They taught their disciples to do that. And the really good ones, the really religious, the, the elite, would fast on Mondays and Thursdays every week. And it wasn't because there were health benefits to it, right? We can like push ourselves through a fast saying like, man, I'm going to lose so much weight by the end of this. It was to prove to God that they were worth the Messiah coming. Now, there's a problem with that. In Mark 2, the Messiah was there. But they were still fasting, waiting for the Messiah to come. I'll come back to that later. But this, we need to see this interaction between the Pharisees and Jesus, where Jesus is saying, you have to unlearn because... In Matthew's gospel story, in chapter 7, Jesus tells this story, and he says, um, there's two types of people. There's a type of people who follow me and do rightly, and they, they, they just bear fruit. They just do the right thing. They just stay with me. And then there's a type of people who pursue the fruit, who try to do the right thing. And this is what he says. Matthew 7, we get this frightening warning from Jesus about why our unlearning is so important. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Terrifying. I'm gonna repeat that. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, and he, that day is the day of redemption. Whether you die and, and you stand before Jesus for judgment or um, Jesus comes back and ends all this misery for us and we all stand before him. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works like fasting in your name? And then he, Jesus is saying this, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's speaking to a people who were in love with the law, who were in love with the right thing to do. They were convinced they were lawful. And Jesus says, you're without the law because you don't understand the law. You don't understand the instructions of God. Depart from me because I don't know you. Now, let me, let me respond to that fear of, okay, so then the disciples actually ask this question, then who can be saved? If it's not those people, if it's not the people who follow all the right rules, then who can be saved? Let me tell you, the only way to find life is to follow Jesus there. We don't know the way unless we know Jesus. The only way to find life is to follow Jesus to life. Not our, what we have learned as Christian activity, not what we think is the right thing to do as a Christian. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus taking us? And how do we get there? Prayer. We pray. And so we have to, we have to, this is, this is what I hope for with, with this church. As I was um, reading over this this morning, and I just was filled with this longing that, that we would be a church that is willing and that actually does it, that we would give up our way of doing things just to follow Jesus. I don't want this church to be founded on, we do what, what people tell the pastor to do. We do what the rest of the churches in San Angelo do. Maybe, maybe those things line up. What we do is what Jesus tells us to do. So I pray that, that we, as a, as a church, and I mean as individual, collective people, like us as individuals, but we belong to each other. That we do this. We would stop what we're doing. Just stop what we're doing, like Jesus has the disciples do. That we would stop what we're doing so that we could pray, that we could focus on who Jesus has called us to be. That we'd stop what we're doing so that we would focus on who Jesus has called us to be and learn who we, he's called us to be from him. And the only way to do this is through prayer. And one aspect of prayer is repentance. I can only teach you one way to pray this morning. Repent. We're going to learn repent and repent and repent as we walk through the book of Mark. Because throughout the book of Mark, we are asked to keep those words of Jesus in Mark 1.15 just bouncing around in our head. 
Mark 1.15, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's here. This isn't just in Mark 1.15 in first century Judaism, in first century Israel. It's here in 2023 in San Angelo. The kingdom of heaven is here. What do we do? Repent and believe the good news. And so, like we mentioned last week in our Mark recap, we're going to be reminded to repent and believe. And so we've constantly got to be asking. We, we look at Mark 1.15 and we think, okay, what does it mean? How do I repent? How do I believe? What is this good news of the kingdom that I'm buying? We've got to ask those questions. So we're going to ask this morning these two questions. How does Mark 2, 18 through 22, how does our passage call us to repent? And then how does this passage call us to believe? Okay? So how does Mark 2, 18 through 22, how does this question about fasting call us to repent? Well, there's only one prerequisite for repentance. That you know you're a sinner. That you know you need repentance. The only thing you need before repentance is to understand you need to repent. That you've got it wrong that you have followed your own way, that you have learned from others instead of Jesus. That maybe you feared man more than you feared God. And we find this working against our flesh because what our flesh wants to do is recognize how everyone else around us needs to change. And we completely ignore the fact that we need to change. This is what Jesus means when he says, take the log out of your own eye before you can even point to the speck in your brother's eye. The Pharisees in in our passage have made themselves, and this is sin. This isn't a Pharisee problem. This is a human problem. The Pharisees just give us an example. They've made themselves not experts in the law, They've made themselves experts in other people's sin. And they get enraged because they can't find it in Jesus. One of the the things that I find myself perpetually, what it feels like, apologizing to my wife for is being much quicker to point out her sin than to repent of mine. I think if there was a word count on how many times I've said, I'm sorry, after I've pointed something out in her, that'd be pretty high. It's just part of who we are. We do this. I've got to unlearn this. Let me me look at your life and come back to me later. Or I'm going to apologize for my thing real quick, but hold on. Let me just lift you up and, and... lift the curtain and shine some light on what you've done. Man, we've got to repent of being experts in other people's sin because what it does is it hides ourselves from ourselves. Then we don't even recognize we have sin. We think we're the ones in the right. At its core, this is sin. At its core, Sin causes us to believe everyone else needs to change, not us. 
But Jesus is pretty clear that the kingdom of God is only for the spiritually sick. It's only for the people who recognize their need. It's only for the people who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are humble, who say, I need to change, and I've tried everything. The kingdom of God is only for those who will repent and believe. So we must learn, we must unlearn how we've lived to survive in this world. You've got to unlearn. You have to know that you need to unlearn. We don't just stop there. We, we turn, this is repentance, turning from our sin, recognizing our need to unlearn, working to unlearn it, confess it to God, and then turn to Jesus, surrender to Jesus. And we fill our lives up with him. It's pretty heavy, right? You should feel the weight of that. There's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. We're experts in other people's sin. We're unwilling most times and unable most times to actually unlearn what we need to unlearn. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that Eugene Peterson, a pastor that died a few years ago, he's got this saying about this. This is a, the, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. A long, this guy lived many years, died full of life, and the thing he left saying was, it takes a lifetime. It's a long obedience in the same direction. You're going to ask yourself, why haven't I made it yet? Why haven't I figured this out yet? Why haven't I gotten over this yet? It's a long obedience. So be patient with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Jesus is kind to you. Like Christian read earlier, come to me. He knows who he's calling to come to him. He's kind. He's gentle. This is why he died. Was to invite you into repentance. Be kind to yourself. Jesus is kind to you. And because Jesus is kind to you, be kind to others. As we're all unlearning our sinful way of doing things. There's not a person in this room who confesses they're a Christian who's not unlearning. So be kind to yourself. Be kind to one another. And I also want to point out that it's not lost on, on um, Brian and I that like this church plant thing, this, this is new to a lot of people. It's new to most of you. There's a lot of unlearning here. Like we're not, we're not building a church based on what churches have looked like in the past. That's not where our strategy comes from. We're also not building a church based on everyone's opinion about what we should do because then we'd be doing everything and conflicting things. We're, we're called to plant Redeemer and raise her up just to trust and follow Jesus for the right way. And that comes at a cost. I met uh, with a member this week, 
And I left that meeting feeling both sad and so glad because he was explaining to me how um, they love being here. They love belonging to this body. They love you. And he said, but, but man, it came at a cost. Like we, we gave up a lot. And we wondered when we came here, are we going to have everything we need? And the, the thing that makes me so hopeful is that he said, yeah, we have everything we need. Because the Lord is my shepherd. And so I, I felt the sadness knowing that this is one family that has experienced a lot of loss. A lot of, not just loss, but a lot of letting go. A lot of giving up to loss. A lot of sacrifice. And the, the challenge that comes with that, the difficulty that comes with that. And I felt that sadness with him, but we felt hopeful together. We felt glad together because this is another person among many who have committed to unlearn, who have committed to, let's just follow Jesus. What if we just do that? And so I look around and I told my wife at the beginning of the service, I love seeing so many new faces, but the thing that fills my soul with gladness and worship is I see so many familiar faces. I mean, I make mistakes up here, and you guys keep coming back. So I'm glad to know it's not about me. So I'm going to pray, and I ask you to pray too, that this church would keep that childlike faith. We'd keep that childlike, childlike trust, independence, and desire that Jesus knows the way. Let's just follow him. Mark, 20, Mark 2, 18 through 22, calls us to repent calls us to repent of being experts in the actions and sins of other people, calls us to repent of our unwillingness and sometimes our, un, our refusal to unlearn our human ways. He calls us to repent. But remember, always, 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 with the invitation to repentance, there is always an invitation to belief. Repentance isn't repentance without belief. You've got to turn to Jesus. And so how does Mark 2 call us to believe? How does our passage call us to believe? Well, um, I'm going to use the words of a much smarter human uh, than me, Bob Thune, um, pastor of Coram Deo Church. Actually, he recently resigned um, as the lead pastor. I think he's still an elder there, but he's an author. If you've ever heard of um, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered church, gospel-centered life. Um, he's got a book called Gospel Eldership, and he says this in Gospel Eldership, kind of reiterating this repentance and belief. He says, identifying our sin is helpful. It's helpful to see it. It's helpful. But that alone doesn't change us. We are changed only as we turn from our sin and worship Jesus. That word worship that he uses that's a whole life word, not just a what we're doing here on Sunday morning word. Not just what some of you do in the car when no one else is in the car with you word. It's a whole life wrapped around trusting Jesus and not just trusting him, but desiring him. And if you remember many weeks ago, uh, we, we preached on that word worship and we said, 
Worship is both the fruit and the fertilizer. That our lives following Jesus bear the fruit of worship, but also when we're feeling down, we're feeling dead, and just enter into worship. And it brings life back into you. When you see rightly who God is and who we are, remember that mountain in Exodus 20, Exodus 19. I want to look quickly at verses 19 through 20 and see what Jesus has to say about why his disciples are not fasting and how that relates to worship. I mentioned this earlier, but in our Mark 2 passage, verses 19 through 20, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. We don't understand that reference. We don't fast leading up to a wedding, uh, but this was regular practice. It's like, okay, 4th of July, I love barbecue on 4th of July, and I won't eat dinner the night before, and I won't eat breakfast that morning or lunch the day of. Saving up some gut space. <laughs> That's kind of what he's talking about. I'm not going to eat because I'm going to eat with, with the wedding guests and the banquet later. There's going to be good. I'm, I'm going to save my food because I don't have much. And I'm going to wait to fill myself up at the wedding. That's this reference. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come. This is Jesus first kind of um, broad, implicit suggestion that he's going to die in Mark. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So while Jesus' disciples were unlearning their wrong purposes for fasting, what the Pharisees and the religious elite and their parents and their their uncles and aunts had always taught them about fasting. Jesus said, no, I want to redirect you. Because actually, the purpose of fasting, as is with every spiritual discipline, is to trust God and desire him that you're satisfying this longing for God in your soul. We fast, we say no to food, and, and because we're surrounded by so many other indulgences, it is okay and good and right for you to fast from things, from TV, from YouTube, from your phone. He's saying, put the things of the world aside to show those won't satisfy you. How do you know that something doesn't actually mean something to you unless you remove it? Or you find out when you remove it, it meant way too much. So when we get to that place where we're willing to remove our desires and then turn to Jesus, we find our desires satisfied in him. We find our needs met in him. This is the purpose of fasting. And so if Jesus is saying, why would they fast if I'm the reason they'd be fasting? I'm here. I'm in front of them. I'm with them. Why would they wait for me if I'm at their front door? Why say, no, I'm not going to indulge. I'm going to wait for the Messiah. I long for God when I'm standing right next to them saying, indulge in me. 
find your desires met and fulfilled in me. There will be a day, Jesus is saying, there will be a day when I'm taken away. I'm getting ahead of myself. Repentance is not repentance without belief. So we stop doing things the wrong way and we turn to Jesus to learn the right way, finding our needs and our desires satisfied in him. Repentance is not repentance without replacing our desire for sin and things of the world with a desire for Jesus. Repentance is not repentance without turning from sin and turning to the one who forgives it. Because Mark 2.20 is right. He was taken away. He was nailed to the cross so that repentance and belief could even be possible. He died on the cross as a way that now the Father will accept us because he sees his perfect son dying an innocent death in our place. Repentance is not repentance without turning from sin, turning to the one who forgives it. You see, our tendency in repentance is to turn from our sin, to to empty ourselves of sin, to feel so much guilt and shame that it's toxic, that then we turn that into, we fill ourselves back up with, okay, now I just gotta try harder. I gotta do a better job. Guess what? That's what Jesus is teaching the disciples to unlearn. That's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees they must unlearn. You cannot earn God's love and attention. Not by shaming yourself, not by shaming others. You can't do it. It's impossible because the death of Jesus on the cross was so grand, so big. You can't reach that. You can't repent enough. To earn that. When we repent, we replace our sin with Jesus' endless forgiveness. And we practice this symbolically, we practice this every week as a way to train our souls to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. And so we have communion on the sides, we have a table in the back, gluten free on the trays, always, juice, all the way around. We still have the little cups for those of you who prefer the cups. Um, Brian likes those. He calls them Kool-Aid jammers. <laughs> but we have uh, the, this communion, and we, take, we partake together in communion as a way to repent, to repent of unlearning our own ways, of We repent of not unlearning our own ways. We repent of how we did learn. And then we turn to believe in the one who can teach us the right way, the true way, the only way to life. And so as you take the bread and the cup, would you remember that Jesus was taken away and we do and should fast but that the point of our repentance is to be filled with a love and desire for Jesus. So this is an act of worship. Confess your sin to God. 
take the bread and the cup and confess. Repent to him and just receive and rest in his forgiveness and worship him for it. So if this is your confession this morning, if you repent of your sin and you confess that you believe in Jesus, would you come to the table? Holy Father, you are good beyond our wildest dreams. And it begins and it culminates and it ends with you dying on the cross yourself so that we would know the way to find life. And the way to find life is through your son, through coming with him into death, through repenting, giving up our sin, and unlearning the way that we've always known things, and relearning from him what it means to be Christian, what it means to, be, to belong to the Father, what it means to be adopted. And so, God, we confess this morning that we need repentance. Would you help us repent? We confess this morning, God, that we believe. Would you help our unbelief? We pray these things in the name of your perfect and holy Son who gave up everything to get us back.